0: Welcome to the Authors Way podcast, a journey to finding your voice. I believe that our stories are powerful. Our experience have helped to teach us important lessons and our stories help us to use those lessons to teach others. Stay tuned to hear some great stories and learn how you can use your own stories to raise your professional profile, promote your brand and become a published author. Hey there, welcome to the Author's Way podcast, a journey to finding your voice. My name is Jennifer Wright, and I am your podcast host. And today I am very pleased to have Doug Tatum with me. Doug is the author of No Man's Land, a survival guide for growing mid sized companies. Doug is also the chairman of Newport LLC, which is a national partnership for CEOs and senior executives who advise emerging middle market companies. I had the pleasure of seeing Doug at an event a couple of weeks ago, and he has some very interesting insights about middle market companies, small companies, and I'm excited to share some of those insights, but I'm also excited that he's going to be able to share some insights about his book. He uses his book in some interesting ways, and I thought you would like to hear those because I do get a lot of, I do get a lot of questions about what are the best ways to use the book in addition to selling it. So he's got some insights for us today. I think that that would be great for all of the authors out there. So we'll get to Doug in just a second. But before that, let me just remind you that this podcast is brought to you by ExecuRite. Our superpower at ExecuRite is turning business owners and executives into published authors. So we help them through the writing process, help to get their information out into the world through publishing a book. If you have a book in your head, in your heart, in your soul, and you're struggling with getting it started or getting it finished, head over to our website, execurite.com. That's E-X-E-C-U-W-R-I-G-H-T.com. Take a look at our programs, reach out, and schedule a strategy session. Would love to hear your story and know more about what you have going on. So, Doug, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Um, I'm looking forward to this, Jennifer. And it was fun yeah. meeting you, I guess, it was a week or two ago. I have to put a plug in for the fact I'm a faculty member down at the Jim Moran Institute at Florida State University, too. So, uh, Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, yeah, it was fun talking with you and then fascinating with what you're doing. So look forward to this. You said I could smoke a cigar. Absolutely. We're we're in good shape.
0: Absolutely, I should have bought a glass of scotch with me. So it's, it's five o'clock somewhere. Exactly always. So I was really interested and I was very interested in your talk. I mean, you, you shared some, some fascinating information about small businesses and, and mid-market businesses and private equity firms and how they interact. So I'd love to hear some of those insights and I'd love to hear some of your insights about your book. So, so tell us a little bit more about what you do.
1: Currently, I chair a consulting firm. We work with a lot of emerging growth companies. And then, as I mentioned, I teach and then I run a, a small, what they call a micro seed venture capital fund. So that's my, my three worlds flip between there. But back to your point, I think the most fascinating thing you said in your introduction is, do you have a book in your soul, in your heart, mm-hmm. whatever the case that, uh, and if you go back, In my career i was uh, chairman ceo of a consulting firm still out there we sold it in 2010 bears my name and my brothers who was uh, i always give credit for founding it but I, i led that for 20 years but the the material for the book came out of the exposures that we had serving as fractional cfos for emerging growth companies so i think the first thing it was it was a pattern of failures in fact the uh, later editions of the book are called no Man's land where growing companies fail it's interesting my original publisher well my publisher penguin thought that was too harsh to put on the cover but after a few editions of it i was able to uh, take the mid-market uh, survival guide and turn it into no man's land is where you fail so it all came out of exposure out in the marketplace And I don't think I ever intended on writing a book, but I was really driven to communicate what we were seeing out there with all these companies. And so that, I think your point about why are you doing it might be more important than anything you could ask yourself as it relates to being an author.
0: That's a really great point. And I love what you were saying about the failure. I am fascinated with failure because I think that's where we get our growth that's where we get our learning and there's so many interesting stories that come out of failures as well. Um, so that's one of the things I'm always talking to people. I love the success stories but I really love the failure stories.
1: Well I, I don't trust anybody that hasn't failed because that mm-hmm. means that they're lying uh, to start with in a business context. So you know the, the second part is I, you know the, the character qualities, that we all admire in people, whether it be courage, tenacity, resilience—all mm-hmm. of that comes out of failure. You're not going to get any of that right. out of a success. I spend my life around entrepreneurs that are, you know, sh- swinging for the fence or uh, having a transition from being small to large. It's very, very difficult. It's wind in your sails to be around folks that that have uh, failed and, and yet got up and got back on the mat again.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are those are really the people that I want to spend time with. And people that are comfortable with talking about it. Because if you're, if you're, just to your point about the resilience, resilience comes from being able to being able to fail and survive it and share it with other people and help help other people learn from those experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. So I was fascinated with our conversation that we had about how you have used your book. I get a lot of questions from people and I can feel a lot of nervousness when I talk to people who want to write a book. I'm afraid I won't be able to sell it. I won't, I'm afraid I won't be able, you know, people want, won't, won't, to buy it. And one of the things that you talked about is you don't necessarily focus on selling your book you use it. There's a lot of other ways that, that you use it. Do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would start at 100,000 feet and say, if, if there's something that you feel like you need to say and document and elicit, if you will, or illuminate, then it doesn't matter who or what or when somebody wants to read it. I think you do it to put a monument to your thoughts so you can look at them and see if they hold up. And, and that's the process of writing to start with. So, I, you know, it, it was a um, kind of an aha kind of thing where I captured this notion of no man's land around the four M's, which is a framework. And it's interesting. I started with a pamphlet and not a book. I just wrote this down to illustrate mm-hmm. what I was seeing. And, and I found a lot of people interested in looking at it. Again, I never thought about selling it. I was actually approached uh, by somebody who wanted to do uh, an article on it in ink magazine. So okay. so they they interviewed me about the concepts, and apparently the article went viral. And that's when effectively the publishers found it. So hmm. the first thing was, you know getting your ideas out, testing, your thoughts with your peers, uh, framing it, debating it within yourself is the process of, of, of writing. Once the book was published, I'm sure my publisher wished that I had done all the things you're supposed to do to sell books, but I never was motivated around that. The book has sold steadily over a decade, I guess, or more now. What it opened up for me was a huge opportunity uh, in the public speaking arena. So I probably to this day, and I don't know what is the publishing date on that thing, 2010 or 11 or nine. I don't remember. Looks like Oh eight. 08, okay. Yeah. So think about that. That's uh what is that? 14 years ago. Right. And, and I'm still being scheduled all summer long doing, well, you heard one of them a talk. Yeah to audiences around the country on this concept called no man's land. We're growing up in, where their companies are too big to be small, too small to be big. So so I think number one was it turned me into a thought leader in that area, which is a lot of fun. And I, and I can convey that back to students at, at Florida State. And then also it's become very, very helpful. And obviously in the practice that we, uh, deal with at Newport because uh, we had sold the firm, I guess yeah twenty four months after uh, 2008 after the uh, uh, I guess the book was sold. you know it, it, it provides thought leadership, it provides opportunities to do public speaking, which might be terrifying to some people, but trust me, you know if, if you've got something to say, you'll figure out a way in your own style to do it over time. And you can start with small groups. And then uh, finally, uh, it becomes very, very much of how you position yourself, if if that's still where you are in your career, and what you want to do, your value proposition out there, uh, because you become a thought leader.
0: I really do like the idea of those in either trying to move into executive level positions or moving, you know, within the you know, into more senior levels from an executive perspective, having books. I think it, I think can be a very powerful
1: tool to help with
0: career growth. Um, yeah. And like you said, establishing yourself a, as a thought leader.
1: Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, you know, trying to be a New York Times bestseller. I think I made the bestsellers list in, in London, believe it or not, but you mm. know, there's all sorts of tricks people do to sell books and get on a list but that's not the objective if, if that's what's driving you then i'm not sure you're going to have enough gas in the engine to get there if what's driving you is you really believe you have an insight that mm-hmm. could be helpful then how are you going to communicate that right a book, book's a great way to do it
0: right absolutely absolutely so as you were writing the book, did you did you write the book by yourself? Did you have a writing partner? Did you? How did you really kind of start that process and, and move through that process?
1: Well, you know, I'm a CPA, I'm a financial guy by background, and and I can write, but I've never written a book, and so when the publisher came to me, I said, "I'll be glad to do it, so long as you find a." by my side editor who has two backgrounds and I literally set this up so that they couldn't find one. <laughs> and, um, uh, I guess fortunately for me, they did. So I said, I want somebody that writes Harvard business case studies, but also writes novels because I want to tell stories and I'll be damned if they didn't find somebody, Seth Shulman. So a lot of the stuff, Jennifer, you do with your writing that you had talked to me about earlier. And I think it's a misnomer. It's not ghostwriting because I wrote a lot of this stuff. But what, what was interesting was this is a professional writer who could, who could create some consistency of voice that, you know, you have to do a lot of writing to do that. I'm really good in a one or two page memo and getting things done succinctly. But if you're telling the story, you know, sometimes you want somebody that can uh, be a little more descriptive. And so that was an incredible help to do that. Nice.
0: I like that. So you tried to set yourself up to fail, but but they didn't let you.
1: Yeah, they, they found a gentleman who, who literally uh, was involved in writing Harvard case studies and was writing novels. That's awesome. Um, you know, yeah. de- he could tell a story but he understood business. Right. Right. I love so, it. So so you know as I'm translating mm-hmm. I'm using him as a focus group. Does this make this is what I'm trying to say.
0: Well, you know that's that's one of the things a good writer or someone who is really good with that process should be able to help do that for you. That's one of the things that I found with sometimes we just need an editor in some cases just to help us make sure that it, it's a it's an unbiased source. Someone who may not already know the content that can just listen to it and say, yeah, this is going to make sense to the audience.
1: Correct. Yeah. And, and I was lucky enough to, to get one of those.
0: Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Kind of determine who your audience was for your book. Or did it did it just kind of come natural with the content?
1: The content... Drives you to the audience, which is businesses that are, that feel like they're, you know, entrepreneurs that feel like they're too big to be small, too small to be big. More specifically, as part of this, I ended up wanting to prove more academically that there was this unique transition. So I spent a lot of time getting uh, Dr. David Birch out of retirement at MIT. Mm -hmm. The first diagram in this book cost over a million bucks, just the one diagram, because that was getting David Birch out of retirement, who was an applied mathematician, brilliant, a a national treasure. And he had a time series database. And I asked him to go see if there was anything unique about these companies in a certain segment that he could tell in the data sets over time. And sure enough, it ended up being companies with employees from about Twenty million. Excuse me. Twenty employees to 100 employees. That's about seven or eight million dollars in revenues, up to 30 or 35 million. So that group of employees, employers, entrepreneurs, driven companies, have unique characteristics. So I was able to match that data insight with my anecdotal observations from being the chairman CEO of a of a consulting CFO company, where I was seeing all this happening. I mean, it started on a kitchen napkin, really. I don't Mexican restaurant. Uh, I was sitting down with my brother saying, my gosh, these patterns of failure are so consistent. It's like they're in no man's land. And boom. It's like if you've ever been around songwriters, they talk about the hook. Right. That was what. That's the hook. What it was. Yeah.
0: That's a pretty good hook. Yeah, it's fascinating. One of the things that I, as I've, as I've read through your book, it is a hard balance to get when you've got a lot of data to share. It's very easy to get caught up in all the data and forget about the story. And I thought that you did a great job of including. So you did a great job with your with your writer of making sure that there was a lot of story in there to tell the story of the data, not just presenting the data and the numbers, because that can that can get kind of kind of dry pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Entrepreneurs. I mean, you know, my audience, entrepreneurs, I mean, obviously, there's a subset of them that that have an affinity to that your data, but but the reality is a story creates a picture in somebody's right. head. And what you're really dealing with with entrepreneurs is an enormous amount of an emotional, you know, if, if, if at this stage of a business, if the business is good, then that must mean I, the entrepreneur, am good. If the business is faltering, that must mean I'm the uh, entrepreneur is bad. And you have no idea how many people, I mean, thousands over the years. come up to me and said, oh my gosh, you know, I read the book and what it told me was I'm, it wasn't me. It's the territory I'm driving through. And that was a huge relief to a lot of people. You're not going to do that with data. You're going to do that when you hear another entrepreneur talk about how they feel about the issues Mm -hmm. that we, we talk about the inflection points and the transitions when you're too big to be small, too small to be big,
0: Right. Right. That's a great point. I always say that story helps make that personal connection. Because otherwise it it's very hard for people to continue to to want to listen to what you're saying. So the but people the, don't
1: have people don't have the time. People right. don't have the time anymore. I mean, if it's not worth the time exchange, then you know, that's why that's why I suggested that if you're gonna write a book on something you need to have a a, a sense that you have an insight Mm -hmm. and there's ways of testing that. Like I did, I put a small pamphlet together and people would sit down and go, wow, that's, that makes a lot of sense to me, you know, and that got going, you know, so you can test your idea. If you're, if you're a little bit concerned about, you know, jumping off the cliff to say, I'm going to finish a book, then maybe you ought to create some white papers and some things like that and hook them together, and see, uh, you know, what the reaction is. Do of folks turn around and go, you know, that changed my trajectory? Now, we're talking about in a business context right now. You know, that's my world. I'm sure there are books that are in all sorts of different places, but, you know, in, in my world, that would be the way I would think about it.
0: That's really a great idea. I hadn't thought about it quite that way. And there's a lot of... A lot of ways that you can get information out there, like you were saying, to test. There's blogs. You know, there's there's other types of other types of articles, other types of content that people could use to to test that. That's a great idea. I'm going to start using that if well, you're that's, okay. That's
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, what else have you got going on right now?
1: Well, you know, we're we're uh, taking a little break. Or the summer from from classes, but you know I, I thoroughly enjoy engaging with uh, young folks at Florida State University. You know the firm Newport is also fascinating because we have a group of you know fifty really world class men and women who've kind of been there, done that, that are serving as Sherpa guides for going companies, which is amazing because you get exposed to. Almost an unimaginable breadth of, of how people solve problems and make money out there. It's just fascinating. And then we're, you know, we have a, like I said, a small micro seed fund where we're investing in everything from one of the, what we think is a breakthrough in a cyber area to uh, some a medical device, you know, that's going into uh, human testing in Britain by the end of the summer. So it's it's, oh, wow. uh, it's like intellectual, uh, like a big buffet of interesting things.
0: Got your hands in a lot of different things. I love it. Keeps things interesting.
1: Well, yeah, keeps you from bored, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time you spent. Before we go, though, I always ask the um, my guests the same question because I'm always interested in, what you're reading or what you have read uh, are there any books that you have read yourself that have been inspiring or anything that you're reading right now that you would recommend
1: there's a book the oh lord that i just finished up and the it's called the fourth grade awakening and what caught my attention was this was a professor at the university of chicago that got the nobel prize so, so anybody that, that got that prize, but what he was an economist who interprets history through data, it's either the third or fourth grade awakening, I forgot the name of it. I go look in there real quick, but what's fascinating is you had someone who takes the American experiment and he built massive databases of everything from nutrition to health, to uh, average wages, to and then he interprets the consequences and the societal changes in the context of this data. And the, the 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 I think it's the fourth great awakening, or maybe it's the third great awakening, was his prediction of what would happen in the future. And what was absolutely fascinating to me is he's no longer with us, but. A lot of what he said would happen is the, is the front page uh, headlines in the uh, cable news shows and the newspapers right now. So it's a fascinating book. Not easy, you know, because he is a you know. But it it is fascinating. One of the few books that I spent a lot of time just you know underlining stuff.
0: Okay, I'll have to check that out. That does sound sounds very interesting. It's always interesting to find something that is done in the past that you can really see start to show up
1: well, now. Yeah, he's no longer, he, you know, he's, he, he died maybe or 10, 15 years ago, but he looked at American history in these epochs and then he predicted the last one. And it is absolutely fascinating that he looks to be spot on. We'll, um, we'll see because we're in the middle of it, as you predicted.
0: Right. Wow. Wow. And you've piqued my interest. I'm going to have to go check that one out. All right. Well, before we go, is there anything else, anything else you'd like to share? Any any other big insights that you have?
1: Well, I'm working on a, a, on a course uh, called Profit Sense, because one of the things I've learned is that profit has become a dirty word in the culture. And it is very ill-defined and, believe it or not, unbelievably misunderstood. So uh, we have a course on that coming out for executives and their staffs uh, out of FSU here pretty soon. In fact, I I was working on it today, and I'm behind. But it's um, probably there's a book there, but I don't know if there's enough. If I can smoke enough cigars to get another one out. So uh we will just keep it as a course I think.
0: Okay. Is that something that's going to be available for uh outside of the university? Okay. All right. Yeah,
1: it'll be out, it'll be a kind of an, an employee executive education class okay. that that we're going to have ready hopefully by the end of the summer.
0: Okay. Yeah, if you want to share that information once you once once it's ready, we can share it with this audience and um I think there'd be some Super. some people who'd be interested. Super. Yeah. I always find that interesting, what you're saying about profit. I always find it interesting that a lot of people focus on revenue and not as much on profit.
1: Well, and philosophically, I defined two definitions of profits in front of a group of students one time and ultimately in a survey to the general public. And one definition was profit is the amount that your customers knowingly provide you over your costs for the value they receive, right? So philosophically, you wouldn't be profitable as long as your customers have other choices, unless you're creating a value exchange.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Kind of like applause for what you're doing. The other right. definition was the other definition was profit is, in a, uh, is is what a company extracts from its customers to their disadvantage without their knowledge. The vast majority of the pub, public, if you ask them how profits are derived, would answer number two. Oh. And which is remarkable because if you understand how profits are actually derived and how you have to compete for those Mm -hmm. votes from consumers, you're shocked. And so it's a fascinating and intriguing story on how we got here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in learning more about that. That's that sounds very interesting. I would love to. Would love to know more about that once, once that's available.
1: When I get get a draft of it put together, then let's uh, let's sit down and talk.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love it. Well, thank you so much. I know, I know you're busy. Your time is very valuable, and I appreciate you spending some time with us. Some really great insights. I love hearing about what you're working on and the insights you have on your book. I I I really appreciate that. It. It's helpful to me and I'm sure I'm sure the audience will will get a lot out of it as well.
1: Well, it's a compliment to, to have you interested in it. So thank you very much. Oh, oh, you're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, until next time,
0: I have enjoyed this today. And to the audience, I am looking forward to the next time we can get together. So, and this is The Author's Way. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Author's Way podcast. I'd love to hear from you about any future topics you'd like me to cover or other authors you would like to hear from. Head over to my Facebook page, The Author's Way, like that page and join a community of writers, authors, and fans. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thanks again, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next time.